Welcome to the Church Times podcast. Try 10 issues for £10 or two months access to our website and apps also for £10. Go to churchtimes.co.uk forward slash new hyphen reader. Theology Slam, the competition that seeks young voices on theology in the contemporary world, will return in 2020. It was launched last year and is organised jointly by the Church Times, SCM Press, the Community of St Anselm and the London Institute for Contemporary Christianity. The competition is open to anyone aged 18 to 30, ordained or lay, and consists of a qualifying round and a live final. In the qualifying round, applicants are asked to write 500 words on one of 12 contemporary issues. They include theology and race, theology and celebrity, and theology and disability. Applicants are also asked to submit a short video introducing who they are and why they are interested in the topic. Entries open today, Friday 1st of November, and the deadline is 11.59pm on the 5th of January. Three applicants will be chosen to take part in a live final on 26th of March at St John's Hoxton in London. For more information, go to churchtimes.co.uk slash theology slam. On this week's podcast, I talked to last year's winner, Hannah Malcolm, who will be on the judging panel at the next Theology Slam. And after that, you can hear excerpts from the finalist talks at the first Theology Slam final. How did you find out about Theology Slam and what um, made you want to apply? Um, I think I found out through Twitter. I wanted to apply, I think, because if you're not in a, if you're not writing um, in a context where you are regularly chatting to people um, who are doing theology, um, it can sometimes be tricky to know whether the things you're thinking about in your head are, are things that resonate with other people. So it sounded like a really interesting platform for um, creating opportunities for theology dialogue where um, different ideas and approaches could be heard and I suppose sort of tested Um, so yeah that was what first motivated me to apply. You must have been pretty busy could you describe the application process I mean did it take a lot of time and effort? So the application process there were two parts to it one was to write a short a reflection I suppose you could call it or a short roughly blog post length piece in order to introduce the ideas that you wanted to talk about and then to record a short video explaining where the ideas for your piece had come from. I think my advice would be that it doesn't take that long to do um, but in terms of the actual sitting down and writing and recording and, and that's not something that needs to take too long but um to start thinking early about the ideas and give yourself time to... So I spent weeks just thinking about what I might want to say, how it might fit, um, talking about it talking about it with people I knew before I sat down to try and finish writing up. So, yeah, use that time well. Give yourself time to think about it and, and work through your ideas before you um, rush to get them in. I picked the theology and environments topic and so I wrote a piece which was exploring the concept of solastalgia. Other people call that experience something like climate grief or ecological grief, eco-anxiety, things like that, a sense of um, homesickness when you're still at home. One of the reasons that I wanted to write about it was that I hadn't really come across very much theological exploration of that idea and so I was curious to see how that would be received and whether other people 
would feel that was as helpful as I had found it in my own thinking. You, I think you mentioned it, you talked about Extinction Rebellion in your talk. And obviously, they've become far more prominent in their activism since the theologists mm. last year, this year. Yeah, so one of the one of the first things that got me thinking about um, emotional and psychological response to climate breakdown and how that how we might respond theologically is that Extinction Rebellion. Um, one of the things they run is something called um, kind of grief workshops, almost where they talk about encouraging people to explore the wisdom of brokenheartedness. And and something that I noticed was that. A lot of these workshops they were running, um, they were trying to run them with a degree of uh, like spiritual engagement. Um, but because it wasn't coming out of a particular religious tradition necessarily, um, I started wondering what it would look like to think about that approach from a Christian perspective and in a Christian framework. Can we just talk about the final, what it was like? What did you expect and how was it? I think one of the, one of the slightly... Um, interesting things about being the first year of Theology Slam is that um, the ideas of how it would work were sort of being developed while we were in the process of preparing for the finals. So, um, for example, when I started, I didn't know things like it would be a live recording type event or what would be required with things like um, slides and, and how to use them and stuff like that. So I think in the end, it worked really well. But it was an exciting thing to be part of the first year and also quite nerve wracking because there was a sense of not, not none of us knew, um, including the organisers, what a final would be like and how it would be received, um, you know, what people would think of it. So that was quite nerve wracking. The final itself, there was a lot of adrenaline around it, I guess, but it was really exciting. People were really supportive. I felt as though... Um, those that came really wanted to hear what we had to say um, and were really encouraging. So it was a it was a very supportive atmosphere to try out some ideas. And it was a great opportunity for learning a little bit about how to communicate um, in a slightly different style. So it's not they're not looking for a sermon and they're not looking for a lecture. So there's an interesting lesson to be learned about how to communicate in a way which gets people thinking um, but is tight and really engaging and accessible as well. So what sort of reaction have you had to, to what you said? It's overwhelmingly been quite positive. I mean I don't like listening to my own voice so I haven't <laughs> I haven't watched the video um, <laughs> but um, people have been on the whole really supportive and really positive um, and I think that was one of the really positive things that came out of it for me that I realized that the, the things that I was thinking about were things that other people um, would find helpful and were thinking about too. Um, and that's actually trying to approach um, quite a done topic or quite an, almost a, quite a worn topic, quite an exhausting topic like environment, which I think can become very easily just people feeling quite guilty uh, without any further reflection. I was really encouraged to see how positively people responded to a different approach to that. And um, I've continued doing work around helping churches and um, Christian communities engage with climate grief. So that's been a, another great part of being part of Theology Slam is that it gave me a platform for my work that I hadn't had previously. 
Um, and that comes with challenges, but um, it's on the whole been something that I'm really glad that I got that opportunity to do. And then just finally, you're um, going to be one of the judges this year as, as last year's winner. You'll be on the panel. I mean, what, do you know what you'll be looking for in, in the talks on the night? Yeah, I think I am looking for creative theology. And by that, I don't mean theology that isn't rooted in anything. So I think the best creative theology enters a dialogue um, with existing thinkers and traditions and then challenges them or pushes them um, or proposes um, new angles. So I think I'm looking for creative theology. I think I'm looking for accessible theology. One of the best parts of the idea of Theology Slam is that it makes theology something that the general public can engage with and have opinions about and you don't need a theology degree to enter um, and you don't need a theology degree to watch it right so I'm looking for theology that um, is accessible and um, if you use if you introduce new ideas or, or work ideas that have a big word attached to them make it just one or two that you then explain um, and engage really deeply in. So I think that's two things I'm looking for, theology that's creative and theology that's accessible. Um, and maybe the third thing would be theology that aims to transform. So not just doing theology for like clever theology's sake, although that does have its place, um, but theology that is seeking to transform thinking and by extension the way that we live and work as Christians. Me too. Church too is a hinge. And how we respond to our call to responsibility will determine whether or not this was just another moment. The nice tits, show us your bra, those daily aggressions, abuses of power in thought, word and deed have not stopped and will not stop unless we begin with ourselves. They're small acts, but they escalate fast. We have a responsibility to educate ourselves on abuse and coercion, to call out injustice, to advocate for survivors, and to realize when our power, personal and institutional, is part of the problem, and so make the necessary change. We must remember that sin means that none of us is beyond reproach. So safeguarding training should be worship, not a chore. We need to teach sexual consent in our marriage preparation courses and to our youth groups. We need to be the prophetic voice of healing, of hope, of redemption and sanctification, which transcends the hashtag and shares the good news of Jesus Christ. What the church can learn from me too is being noisy, being uncomfortable, and expecting change when we demand it. The truth is the stakes are too high to ignore our call, our ineliminable call to responsibility, Responsibility that is not afraid to hold the hands of those who have been hurting for too long. So all of us, you and me, none of us is exempt. In our freedom, let's follow God's call so that me too, church too, is not just some forgotten moment, 
but a permanent, transformative, powerful movement. To discover who we are, we need to look at ourselves from the context in which we have been created. Since God has manifest himself through the creation, humanity has become part of this dynamic mystery which is holding and unfolding the whole universe outside time and space. To discover who we are, we need to look at ourselves from the context in which we have been created. According to Genesis, you and I have been made in the image of God. And because God has manifest himself, has communicated himself through a Trinitarian relationship, why we human beings don't think that we also need a relationship, an otherness, in order to find out our true identity? In the same way that we need a mirror in order to look at our face, our outer self, maybe we need another mirror in order to look to our inner self. St. John also says that God is love. So we have been created from love. That means that our identity is bestowed on us by God's loving gaze and that we seek love in the way to our true home. What would happen if we suddenly stop looking at God, stop relating with him? Maybe that we will try to satisfy this longing for finding an identity and love through other relationships that are not based on the divine love, leading to a less solid sense of self and a more vulnerable self-esteem. The land mourns, and all who dwell in it will waste away with the beasts of the field and the birds of the air. Even the fish of the sea disappear. Much of the Western church is finally catching up to this idea of caring for the planet we call home. But along with the responsibility to defend what remains, we cannot ignore those already lost and those we are now powerless to save. Droughts have pushed suicides in the Indian farm sector to epidemic levels, and a temperature rise of just one degree during the growing season is linked to almost 70 more suicides a day. How are we to rightly mourn the loss of human life, perhaps on a scale not seen since the Second World War, or mourn the loss of our fellow creatures and the stability and beauty of the home that we share? Australian philosopher Glenn Albrecht coined the word solastalgia to express this feeling of homesickness when you are still at home, the grief created by seeing the place you love come under immediate assault. In the early 2000s, he was researching the impacts of open-cut coal mining in New South Wales and discovered that along with the land and health impacts experienced by the communities around the mine, they were also experiencing a form of chronic distress directly triggered by changes to their home. He realised that all of us, no matter whether it's a tree outside our bedroom window or a sense of our place in the world as a whole, can experience a form of unnamed melancholy when places we love get destroyed. This is solastalgia, a homesickness for what is lost.
And climate chaos will create unavoidable homesickness for all of us. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Church Times podcast. You can find more news, analysis, comment and book reviews on our website, churchtimes.co.uk. If you are not yet a subscriber to the Church Times, you can try your first 10 issues for just £10. You'll get the paper delivered to your door every Friday, plus full access to our website and digital archive. Go to churchtimes.co.uk forward slash subscribe to find out more. The music for this podcast was provided by Sought After Sounds. Tune in next Friday for the next episode. Thank you.